So one of our monthly kind of worship rhythms is that on the third Sunday of every month, um, we have people share their stories. And, and lately, the way that we've been doing that is kind of in an interview format. And today, I figured, uh, we figured that since it was uh, Dia de Padre or Father's Day, that's the extent of my Spanish knowledge, um, wherever you guys want to sit here, I'll scoot down. Come on over. That we would interview a couple of our dads. And it's hard to pick which dads to interview because we have a lot of good ones um, yeah, there's a wireless. You guys will pass that. And so I'll let them introduce themselves. And, well, I mean, I just I don't want to be so close to empty chairs. It's just unnerving. Um, yeah, I know. I'm glad somebody appreciates my humor. It's good, one of you. And so uh, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves and then tell us who your kids are and how old they are. How about that? Okay. My name is John Stockland. And I have two childrens, and the oldest is eight, and that is Ellie Madeline. And then we have a seven-month-old, which is Sonny Elowen. I'm Neil, um, and I have two boys, Hayes and McCoy, who are five and three. And then a little baby girl, Maddie, or Maddie Moe, um, and she is six months old. That's awesome. Um, so got some really tough questions. We're going to get tougher as we go. But the first one is, like, before you had kids, like, what was the best piece of advice that you got about parenting or about being a dad before you had kids? I'll be honest. I don't know <laughs> if I really did. Or, yeah. Um, Maybe, hey, you can even say what was the worst advice you got. We'll go with that, oh, too. Oh, man. Um, best advice or worst advice? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, don't mess them up. Don't mess them up. Nothing I, don't know, I can't, I can't think of anything like particular that was like instilled, like, okay, don't do this or do this. Um, I mean, I could spend all day talking about, you know, general stuff, but yeah, nothing that's like, you know, do this or don't do this, at least for me, that sticks out. Yeah, I'm the same way. I was, I was, I like this question. I think stumped me more than anything else. Really? Yeah, yeah. But like, I have I a story have that like happened before we had kids that I think sums up kind of where we are as parenthood. I guess for Lindsay and I at this point. But like, we were at the gym one day and there was this lady in there. And this is before we had kids, and she was like, "Neil, you need to start having kids. You need to have babies. Blah blah. blah. They're the best thing in the world." And she's just kind of like redneck-ish lady, if that's okay <laughs> to say. And uh, anyway, like, so, like, imagine her, like, voice. And I was like, ah, oh, we're just not ready. She's like, no, you really need to. It's great. It's the best thing ever. And then uh, I, like, look behind her, and there's a chalk bucket in the gym. And one of her kids had, like, dumped the chalk bucket over and was making an angel, like, in the chalk. Like, just, I was like, oh, hey, is that your kid back there? And she's like, oh, crap. Don't listen to anything I just said. Never mind. And I was like, man, that's such a good, like, I mean, that's a good picture of parenthood. I feel like that's just get you kind of prepped and ready for everything like you love it and then you're like oh man they're so yeah. great you only want to kill them on Wednesdays yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well that's good um, <laughs> well I'll intervene here just a little bit like uh, for me as a dad I've got a couple we got a 10 year old boy Caleb and a little girl Liza who's eight and the best advice we got beforehand was in the hospital and a guy that I know that's rarely ever serious like his life is just marked by never being serious uh, he came in and he told us he said hey just remember these kids are yours uh, the only person you're accountable to the way you raise your kids is you and your wife and to God. Otherwise, you raise them however you want. You do that, you'll be good. But anyway, that was the best advice we got. But I won't intervene on any others. But since you guys don't have wise people around you giving you good advice, I just thought I would, I would do that. Um, all right, so we're getting a little deeper. Uh, how has being a dad, and this is a big one, how has being a dad made you a better follower of Jesus? Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. That's a doozy. <clears throat> How much time do we have? Yeah, we no. got plenty. Hey, we take as long as we need. For me, um, you know, not, not really understanding fully uh, a father's love until becoming a father um, is pretty incredible. Um, you know, just wanting so much for my children um, and then realizing that that just pales in comparison to, to how God takes care of me and treats me, um, man, it just puts it into perspective. Um, for me, it's, there's so many decisions that I, that I make, um, you know, towards the kids that 
I try and think of what God would do, um, and it's it's just crazy. It, mm. it changes literally every decision um, that I make. So, yeah, it's been it's been wild. Yeah, I think for me it's kind of switched up, like not switched up, but like show me like what my relationship with the Lord can actually look like, or like that whole faith like a child thing. I think is coming to play big time for me, um, or even like you know with my boys. I feel like I've learned like that. I don't know. I guess so. When you have two little boys, especially five and three, like when you walk in the door, like they're not hugging you; they're punching you as hard as they can, you know. And like, are they jumping on you, or like you're laying on the ground and like watching TV at night or whatever, and one jumps off the top of the couch, like right on the center of your back, you know. And so, but like in the same time, like you know, two minutes later, they'll they'll jump up on the couch with you and snuggle with you and ask you like this profound question coming from a five and a three year old. And so, like, it's shown me, like, we have, like, we're able to, like, I don't want to say wrestle with God, but in a way, like, you can ask him these things, and, like, it's okay to, like, question certain things, or why is this happening, or, like, struggle through something, or, like, tussle, you know, like, through something, and then the next second, like, you know what, Lord, like, I really love you, like, thank you so much, like, what, like, and bounce these ideas and questions on, like, I, I guess I've never, like, really viewed my relationship as, like, being able to, I don't know, have those, like, kind of, conflicting things not necessarily that they're conflicting but they can be you know like just totally different things happening at the same time um and then i heard a guy talking about uh the other day and i thought this like summed it up like really well for me um he he deals with depression and anxiety and those are things like thank god i don't deal with but it's still applied to me he's like you know while he's dealing with that he's like it's hard he's like it changes your t total attitude and it's hard to like be in that funk when your three-year-old comes running in butt naked you know and I was like, man, like, that's so true. Like, like the freedom that, you know, my kids have or my boys, especially Maddie's only six months old. So it's kind of like, you know, she's still developing as far as like personality. But like when McCoy comes running in with a mask and a cape on, but he's butt naked otherwise, you're just like, gosh, he's so confident in who he is. <laughs> and like, and like, yeah. And like, who he is like, and, but around us, you know, around me and Lindsay and like, you just like, there's a comfortability or, that's a word but like he's just so comfortable with who he is and like he's free in that you know and you're like man like I feel like that's like that's how God wants us to be with him like just mm. so comfortable and so free in him um and not worry about you know we, we put all this other stuff on what our relationship with him should look like but really like I guess in a way he wants us to be like naked and free with him you know if that makes any sense like the garden um so yeah I don't know if that made any sense, y'all. Yeah. I'm sorry. If y'all are going to tweet something today yeah, be and tag Orchards, don't let it be that. But I, I agree with it entirely. I like it. Um, almost there. What is, uh, and this isn't bragging, this is just, man, we, I love to hear about practices that other dads do um, as far as leading our families well. Because, you know, whether or not, if you're a dad or you're not a dad yet, understand, like, God has placed very clear responsibility on us in Scripture, like mandated, that we lead our families. And it doesn't mean that it's a totalitarian regime, but it means that we set a tone and that we, we lead by example, we lead in word, we lead in deed, we lead in emotion, we lead in, we lead in so many ways. And so I love hearing from other dads, like what's like one way or one practice that you guys have in your home in which you lead your families towards following Jesus? For me, it's, um, it's probably just regardless of what we're doing, you know, it doesn't matter what job or where we're at, what we're doing. Um, just use every opportunity um, for God's glory. Um, you know, it doesn't, it, there's so many distractions and things that can take away, you know, so many things that we add pressures like, you know, um, what do I drive? What, what uh, career do I have? What, like, it doesn't matter. Like, none of that matters if it's not being used for God's glory. So what I try and do with our family is just um, just show them, like, it doesn't matter. I, I, don't, I don't care what I'm doing. I don't care where I'm going as long as it's being able to push people towards, towards God. Because um, at the end, it doesn't even matter. Or, or that's from us. I thought you guys would get that. I'm sorry. Go. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's almost embarrassing that you brought that song up. 
Um, yeah, say, say, ask the question again. That threw me off. Big yeah, so like, what? <laughs> can't imagine. What's one way or one practice that you have in your home of leading your families? Yeah, I think, you know, outside of the, um, you know, reading through kids' Bible at night or praying at night or praying before, like, meals and stuff like that, um, I think, like, God makes it very clear in Scripture. He, like, he tells us who we are, or even, like, you know, through our prayers or through our own, you know, own time with the Lord, he tells us who we are. And, um, you know, for Hayes and McCoy at this stage, you can kind of start seeing, like, who God has made them to be in a way. And I think just affirming that in them um, and telling them who they are and, like, you know, telling them they are loved, they are loved by us, they are loved by Jesus. Um, but finding those little things that you can start seeing, like, oh, man, like, God has made you to do this or God has made you to be this and, like, just pushing them towards that stuff and letting them know that, like, like it's great that God made you to be that way, so go and be that way. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Last thing, like we kind of ask when we do these interviews is like, you know, how can we pray for you or how can we celebrate with you uh, with stuff that's going on in your family right now? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so huge answer to prayer for us um, was yesterday. Um, Ellie decided to trust Christ to be her savior. Woo-woo! Yeah. Big deal. So it's something where she is, uh, she doesn't have the longest attention span, and uh, <clears throat> we've had many conversations um, over the years, and they typically end with, um, you know, something about a squirrel or, you know, a fart or, you know, something like that. It's like, we'll be having this awesome conversation. It's like, we're so close, and then, you know, just never really gets there. So, um, you know, yesterday she... Uh, she came to us and just started asking um, questions and just was attentive and followed through and said that that's what she wanted to do and that's what she believes. And that was, um, man, day of celebration for awesome. sure. So that's a, a prayer of blessing. Um, and then we got, you know, one more, one more uh, kid that we're starting to pray. I mean, ever since she was conceive that God would work in her heart and do the same, and God would just continue to, to use us to be the, the tools to, to lead our children to, to Christ. That's so, awesome. Yep. It's a big deal. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Congrats. That's big time. Um, yeah, I think, I guess, you know, that for sure, that, you know, our boys would know that uh, they are loved by Jesus for sure, um, and they would love him in return, and um, I think those are the, I guess that would be our biggest prayer. Um, but, yeah, I think as far as for Lindsay and me, like, three kids gets a little bit rowdy sometimes, and you get worn down. You're working. You're, you know, trying to manage your job and come home cooking dinners, three kids, and trying to get them all. You come home and cook dinner? All the time. Okay. All the time. I do all the laundry. I clean the house. <laughs> um, I try to just let my wife kick up her feet on the couch and not have to do anything. <laughs> that is all a lie. Gosh. Um but yeah, I think just you He's know, a busy man. Yeah, it's 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 a busy season in our lives, and uh, yeah, just. But I'm sure a ton of y'all are going through it and have been through it, and um, it's a ton of fun, but it'll wear you down. So, um, yeah, after everybody went to bed last night, I went back on the back porch and just kind of sat for a while, and um, you know, it was a long day, but it was a good day. But it was a day that I needed to end in prayer for sure, and just kind of collect my thoughts. And so, yeah. If that made any sense at all, that would be what I need to be praying for. About. That's awesome. Yep. That's great. Well, y'all kind of heard those, so we'll take a minute and let, let's thank God together for Ellie, but also pray for Neil and Lindsay and also his uh, proclivity to lie about the things that he does in his house, that God would call him to repentance on that, um, and pray for Lindsay's strength. Um, but no, we heard those things, so just take a minute and pray for those, and then uh, I'll close this, and thank you guys for sharing, sharing with us this morning. Just take a moment and pray for them. God, we thank you for calling us into responsibility that we could never describe until we get there. Uh, we could read books, we, can, uh, we could have a hypothesis about what it's going to look like, but God, as fatherhood and motherhood looks like, just parenthood in general, um, God, it's hard to know about it until you get there. Um, I pray for those in, in our church that are not yet parents. God, I pray you're preparing them now. 
um, for what that looks like, for what they can learn, how they can grow, um, how they can um, shepherd their children and their family in such a way to push them towards Jesus, um, but also God use it in such a way that you sanctify them as well. Uh, God, we thank you for Ellie and her decision to follow Jesus. That's such a, an amazing answered prayer. Thank you for that, for your faithfulness there and in drawing her to yourself. Um, and God, I pray that we can celebrate that well as a family. And God, for Neil and Lindsay, we pray that you continue just to give them breathing room. Um, I love their kids, and I love the Stocklands kids, and I love getting to watch them grow. And so, God, we, we pray that you just give them uh, those moments of peace, but also those incredible moments of, uh, of teaching what it looks like to follow Jesus just by living their life in front of their kids. Um, pray for uh, abundant patience and abundant blessing. And, uh, God, we pray for your plan for those kids' lives, that it would be evident and clear and that you'd use their parents to affirm that and to lovingly push them towards that. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Um, before we jump into the message real quick, I'm going to show a quick video. We're going to show a quick little how-to video. Um, we talked about the weekly email going out. Uh, this is funny. Um, we can see how many people open the weekly email, and we realize that there's a technical difficulty there. If you have Gmail, it generally goes to your promotions folder, but we have a way to remedy that, thanks to Rob Middleton. If you get this email, you can, this is, look at this, this is amazing, how to, you go to your promotions folder, bingo, you go to your weekly news, you click on it, and there's your weekly news, there's everything, look at that, baptism, meal train for the Nevilles, all important stuff, uh, but you go back to this little inbox, and you can select that. Oh, you just pick it up and drag it to primary, right there, right there, right there. And then after you do that, look, it's in your primary folder, and it will, each week, that's where it will come. It will erase this idea of going to your promotions folder. So if you get it in Gmail, that's the way to do that. Also, on my wife's computer, though, it was a little bit different, and you could click not promotion. And still using Gmail, I don't know why hers was different, but either way, you can click on the email in your inbox in your promotions inbox and click not promotions and it will go to your primary inbox. That's important. We send out a lot of information there and uh, we'd love for you to read it. It's good. And it's that electronic mail thing, it's amazing, doesn't require a stamp, lands in your inbox, you can open it, you can read it, you can respond to emails, you can sign up for stuff. It's crazy what technology can do, especially when it's 30 years old. Um, but anyway, uh, there's that. Uh, today we're back in our influencer series and today we're going to talk about like not an anomaly when it comes to influence, but probably one of our less frequent ideas uh, as far as what we've been talking through. Because last week we pitched out this idea that when we're speaking about influence, we're talking about this, this long-term or longer-term ability to affect someone's trajectory. Because we have that history. We looked at Moses and Jethro and we asked the question, like, why did Moses, of all people who God had led and ordained and done so much through, why did he trust Jethro? And we answered that question, like, there was history there, there was credibility that had been established, there were all of these things. Um, but today we're going to look at those other small times in which uh, influence is just, man, it's a God-ordained moment uh, designed for His glory and His purpose. Like this small, God-ordained moment designed for His glory and His purpose. And we're going to look at a guy named Philip. Uh, we should have already heard of Philip, at least in passing, a few weeks ago. Um, <coughs> sorry, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Excuse me. A few weeks ago, we looked at Stephen. And when Stephen was called out to, to serve, he was one of seven called out to serve. Stephen was one of, I mean, Philip was one of those other guys that we saw uh, just a couple chapters ahead of where we're going to be today. And he was called out because he was a man full of the Spirit, he was a man of good character, and they needed people just to be like waiters and waitresses for the most part. Like they needed people to take care of uh, the Hellenistic um, believers at the time, the Greek-speaking believers, and they were being neglected. They said, let's, let's call out seven men of good reputation who are full of the Spirit, and let's equip them to do that. And so shortly after that, we see that Stephen went from doing that to preaching the gospel uh, to a group of people that eventually killed him. And we talked about that even though this seems bad, it was actually God's good um, for him to be able to use his influence like that. And so Philip was one of these other guys. We're going to pick up in chapter 8, verse 26, and look um, what's going on there. So right after Stephen was killed, we talked about this idea. Stephen was martyred. He went up, um, was taken most likely before he was actually physically killed. And, and after that, because of the event, like God scattered the believers. And as a result of scattering the believers, the Great Commission was being achieved because the Great Commission was, look, uh, go and make disciples, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and understand I'll be with you through it all. Words of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 1, we see that the Great Commission was added to and saying, hey, you're going to start here in Jerusalem where you are. You're going to go to the region of Judea. You're going to go to Samaria where they hate you and you most likely hate them. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And as a result of the martyrdom of Stephen, God scattered the believers. He sent them out from Jerusalem and they landed in Judea. Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. And so right before we get to where our passage was, we find Philip in Samaria. So he had been kind of scattered up a bit uh, to this place to where Samaritans and Jews did not get along. We can't go into all of the, the, the parts of that today, but understand, they just they didn't get along. They hated each other. But this is where we find Philip, and he was preaching the gospel. And it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them, the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them and many were paralyzed and lame and were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And so Philip was there doing that, preaching the gospel. People were being healed. People were repenting. Good stuff, especially from a guy who was called out to serve tables. And so God started him there and progressed him forward. Uh, because of who he was. And then we find ourselves in verse 26 of chapter 8 in Acts. Uh, this is going to be up on the screen if you want to read along. We're going to go ahead and read through this whole account and just come back and answer some questions. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, in Isaiah 53, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Kentucky's got me messed up. Sorry, we were up there last week and it's, it's killing me. Uh, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this is? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through. Uh, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, a lot going on in this passage. Some pretty interesting stuff. Like at the very end, uh, like my kids talk about all the time, when we have an eight-hour road trip, they're looking forward to the day that like the Star Trek technology of transporters comes to fruition. Like God transported Philip at the end of this passage. That's the way that it makes him sound. Like after he was done there, like God moved him to another place. Pretty crazy. Um, when we read the book of Acts, we have to understand that there are sometimes, there are descriptive and prescriptive occurrences. So descriptive is just obviously describing occurrences that occur. Prescriptive is telling us this is how we do things. There's a mix in the book of Acts. Some things only happen in Acts, and they will probably never happen anywhere else. But some things in Acts, they happen, and we have to determine are these things we're being told to do, things that we need to, to act out. And so I can't say that, for instance, like one of these items that's descriptive is God like relocating Philip. I'm not saying that that will ever happen again. It could, but we don't know that for sure. I'm not counting on God inventing transporter technology to take me uh, instead of riding in a car for eight hours just to remove me there. But the rest of it we can look at and we can say that this is, this is fairly prescriptive stuff, things that we need to think about and do. So the first thing that we want to look at is he starts off and it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So if you're looking at a map, I'm going to try to do it in your terms. He was here. Okay, like this little circle right here imaginarily. And God said, I want you to go down here towards the coast. 
and, and it's a place that's a desert, which means there is no water. So it was near the coast, but the road actually heading down to, to Egypt and the rest of Africa was like this desert road, not a great place, not fun. And he didn't even tell him where. He just said, I want you to go to the road. Okay, the, the first thing that I think that we need to note is there was no argument from Philip. Like, I don't, I don't know if you get this, but it says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, get up, go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And it says, and he rose and he went. It doesn't say, and he argued and asked where. It just says that he got up and he went. I think before we go any further, like, I think we have to understand that Philip, without trying to be clever with words, Philip was on a great commission mission at this point. Okay, that's what he was doing. He was on like this mission already. Like he had been appointed to serve, to take care of people. Um, and then he had, uh, been, he had been kind of forced out of that area because of the spreading and, and the, the martyrdom and everything. And he ended up in a place. And man, his mission right there was the great commission that God had set all believers on. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. I want you to start here, go a little bit further, go to the place that they hate you, you hate them, and then go to the ends of the earth. And so wherever he landed, he was like, my job, my role, this mission is to preach the gospel. And so he was doing that. And then, after doing that, after seeing people repent, after seeing people healed, God said, hey, I need you to get up. He uses the voice of a messenger, an angel. One, this is one of these areas that's kind of descriptive versus prescriptive. It happened about five times in the book of Acts. We don't really see God using an angel to speak to people again, not saying that he won't, but it's one of those things that we're like, he did it here. Will he do it again? I don't know, but he did do it here. And so an angel speaks to him, and he just, he just goes. I think the first thing that we need to understand about the type of influence that we're going to read about today is we need to understand that we need to be so used to being with God. Hold on. We need to be so used to being with God, hearing from God, that when he speaks to us in whatever way he chooses, it doesn't surprise us. I want to say it again. We need to be so used to being with God and hearing from God that when he speaks to us, even in the crazy ways, it doesn't surprise us. And I know that sounds nuts, because I'll be honest, like, I do my best to follow Jesus the best that I can, but if I had an angel appear and say, hey, Matthew, I'd be like, what? You're real shiny. Who are you? I would, I would kind of freak out a little bit. But Philip here, he's just like, he got up and he went. He got up and he went. Because there's two seats on this bus, right? In this passage, there's two seats on this bus. We can be the influencer sent by God, or we can be the influencee hearing from God. Both seats are fine. Both seats are fine. We need to be in both seats at one point or the other. Being influenced or actually doing the influence, being sent by God. But if we hope to be in that seat of being the influencer and, and being an influencer in the name of Jesus, like, man, we need to be so used to being with him that when he speaks to us and tells us to do something, man, it's not a shock, no matter how odd it is. Because understand, like at this point for Philip, Man, he was living out this mission that God had put him on. Like, he was in a good place. Like, people were responding. People were being healed. There was a magician, Simon the Magician. Pretty crazy. There's magicians in Scripture. Harry Potter? Yeah. Like, there were magicians in Scripture, and one of those even repented. And there were some neat things that occurred in just the passage previous to this. Like, things were going good. And so, it would have been natural for Philip to say, hey, but God, man, things are going really good here right now. Like, that mission you sent me on, yeah, it's happening right here, right now. Why would I leave? But instead... Philip was so used to hearing from God, being near God, following after God, that when God sent a message and said, you need to go, he didn't argue. He just got up and he went. Like, if, if our heart is leaning towards being used as an influencer for God, we have to understand that sometimes, man, he's going to ask some crazy stuff. He might even ask us to leave, like, a great spot to go to a place that we know nothing about. He just said, look, I want you to go to a road. Like, it would be like God saying, hey, hey, uh... Matthew, I, I just want you to go to 85 South. Okay, like we're on 85 South. Like why? You want me, you, I mean, I've seen cats get run over on 85. What do you want me to do? Like why? But no, Philip's just like, he got up and he went. Be so used to being with God, being on mission for God. When he asks us to do something crazy, man, maybe it's a little bit, maybe it's a little bit weird, but we just get up and we go. And so he does. He gets up and he goes to this desert place. He rose and he went. And so then he gets there and he gets to this road. We don't know exactly where he was. It was just this road from Jerusalem to Gaza, this desert place, this place devoid of water. That's what desert means. And he finds this Ethiopian eunuch. And so we know a couple things about this guy. He's Ethiopian and he's a eunuch. 
right? I mean, Scripture tells us that. Like, now, we don't have to assume necessarily that Ethiopia was the same nation that we consider Ethiopia, but what we do have to consider is that he probably looked a little bit different from the rest of the people that Philip was used to. You know, in the Middle East, to be honest, most people's skins are darker, but when you have Ethiopian in Scripture, it literally means of, like, burned skin, like really dark skin. And so he was coming from a place in which he looked vastly different from the rest of the people. And not only that, but he was a man of, of great importance, like, it says that he's the treasurer of the queen. That's a big deal. Like, he controlled all the queen's money. Very likely, he had been on a mission to get money and was bringing it back. Probably a very well-guarded chariot. A lot of stuff that would signal danger, you know, for Philip to go over there. But, you know, he sees him. And the eunuch, to be honest, like, a eunuch was someone who had, um, I'm looking around for the crowd. Uh, a eunuch is someone who had had their reproduct- reproductive, reproductive organs, it's even hard for me to say, removed so that they wouldn't be tempted when they're in the service of a king or a queen. It's so that they could be void of temptation, and they could just, man, their service was just to serve the king or the queen, in this case, Queen Candace. And so this was a guy of great importance. And so Philip finds himself there. Uh, he finds this guy in a chariot, uh, which was not a poor man's ride. This was expensive. This was like, you know, creme de la creme, really, really nice. And so he finds this guy, and this guy is reading the prophet Isaiah. He had been to Jerusalem to worship, to worship in the, the sense of Judaism, not in the sense of Jesus yet. And so Philip hears, hears him reading. And so this is what occurs after that. And the Spirit said to Philip, verse 29, go over and join this chariot. Go over and join this chariot. Now it sounds simple, right? It sounds simple, but a couple things about this is not simple. Number one, the Spirit is speaking audibly to Philip. Okay? Doesn't happen every day. Like that's not a normal occurrence. Like uh, when, when we're talking about the Spirit speaking to us, like I, under, I want you to understand, this is not like a, uh, a, a moral choice that we feel in our belly. Okay, We want to make sure that there's a distinction in our understanding between the Spirit speaking to me or God using the things that He's built into me to tell me to do something or not do something. Like The Spirit speaking here is probably like a very audible, almost kind of a deal of saying, hey, go over there to that chariot. Number one, Spirit is speaking. Number two, he's telling him to go to a place that is probably not safe. You're a stranger walking by a royal procession, and the Spirit of God speaks. Number one, like, that's, that's different. Number two, you're going to go over there and not announce yourself, and you could get a spear through your chest. It could be bad for you. So I think that we do need to make a distinction really quickly. Like, when the Spirit speaks to us, it's different than us sitting at dinner and say, I probably don't need to eat that second piece of cake. That's not the spirit, that's common sense, okay? Maybe that's the spirit and his working in you to tell you you don't need to be a glutton, but that's, that's different, that's different. And, and it's probably not even like this, this sense of, uh, I should probably maybe talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Like, that's because as a result of being near Jesus, we're starting to think like Jesus, feel like Jesus. The spirit is beginning to change us, sanctify us. That should be a part of our new being, but this is different. I think probably with me, there are probably three times in my life that I can remember like, honestly, like, I, I was like, God, is that you? Like, hearing it kind of a thing. And I know that's strange, but these are unique things. They happen. Uh, one of which, really strange, because I was at, like, a Walmart in Virginia. And I know, that's the, the, the first place we think of when we hear from God's Spirit. A Walmart in Virginia, getting ready to go fish for the weekend with one of my brothers. And I went to uh, the, the sporting goods department, and it was late one night. Um, right before closing, I had to get a fishing license and walked in, and there was an older man at the counter, and he was giving us our fishing license. And I don't remember what he said. I don't remember if, I don't remember what the conversation started as, but I do. It was like God tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, share the gospel with this man now. And I was like, okay. Just one of those times, just weird. And I did. And you know what happened? Uh, He shut me down. He's like, I don't want to hear any of that. Doesn't matter. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened after that. I don't know what happened before that. I don't know what happened. I know that God said, do this. And, and there was something in me that it was so distinct that I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. Now, I think there was probably a choice in me to say no. But I remember that it was so different from turning away from that second piece of cake to this, that there was something in me that said, I, I need to do this now. And I did. And don't know what happened. I know that he shut me down hard. He really did. But at the end of the day, like that night, and I remember going out in the parking lot, and I wept, like broke, because part of me was like, God, you asked me to do something, and this guy just turned it down. Like, what's that about? But it wasn't about that in that moment. 
Maybe it was about me learning what obedience to the Spirit looked like, or maybe it was just about, man, this guy's going to think about it for a week, and God's going to do something. I don't know. It's not my deal to question God's plans, but it is my deal to be obedient. When he says do something, I need to do it, and that was one of those times. Really strange. This is different. This is distinct. This is other than. But again, just like that first statement, we need to be so used to following after Jesus. When he asks us to do something strange and crazy and odd and not normal, unique, it shouldn't sound so surprising and so crazy and so odd. Because understand, Philip had already been doing some crazy stuff. He was on that mission of Great Commission kind of a thing, that Great Commission mission. And so he had been doing great things. And so when God came and he spoke in the, vo- in the voice of an angel and said, hey, I want you to go down here, it didn't shock him. And when he was over there standing beside this processional of chariots that it could get him killed if he walked near, when the Spirit said, hey, go over there to that chariot, it didn't sound so odd. Because again, he was on a mission. He was already in that mindset. He was already understanding that his life was not his own. This wasn't about him. It wasn't about the glory of Philip. It was about the glory of God. Remember, a unique situation ordained by God for his purpose, his glory. That's what we're talking about, this type of influence. And so he did. He went over. He'd go, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him again. First time that spoke to him in, a, in the voice of an angel. He didn't say that he argued. and didn't say that he said we're. He didn't say, hey, I need GPS. He didn't say anything. He just got up and he went. This time he's walking beside the chariot, which could probably cost him his life if he got too close. And it says that he ran. That was probably pretty dangerous too. You know, like going towards a chariot that's heavily guarded, heavily protected. You run towards it. Yeah, the Secret Service is probably going to whisper, hey, take that guy out. He's crazy. But either way, he took off. He ran. Because the other thing that we understand, or we need to understand, like if this is a a God-ordained moment for his purpose and his plan, when he says go, we also have to understand that God's probably already there. And so we need to trust in that. We need to have faith in that. We need to believe in that. And so he runs. And so he hears him reading. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading. This is in verse 30. uh, Reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So a lot of crazy stuff has already occurred. An angel of the Lord speaks, and he goes. Uh, The Spirit of God speaks, and he goes. He gets to the chariot. He doesn't get killed. And then the Ethiopian eunuch, this man of importance, invites him up into his chariot. I mean, crazy, 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 pretty crazy, all crazy stuff. Why? Because God designed him to be influential. This was God's deal. Like, if we're thinking about influence, because here's the thing that I, I do think that we need to wrap our minds around. If we're thinking about the, the world, like, I even, we were even being, like, kind of clever when we said this series was hashtag influencers. Because if we think about hashtag influencers, the people that we think of are the social media folks that are teaching uh, young girls how to put on makeup and they're making money off of it. Or, or whatever these influencers are. I don't get it. Like, I, I don't understand it. Like, Mickey Mouse, yeah, he's pretty influential. Voltron, when I was a kid, influential. Like, I don't understand kids watching people on YouTube playing video games and unboxing toys being influential. But... But this is social media influencers these days, and they're getting paid to do it. But I can guarantee you that none of those people are thinking, hey, or at least probably most of those people, they're not thinking, hey, this is not about me. This is about something bigger. They're not. But the type of influence that God desires for us to have, the type of influence that he has ordained for his glory and his purpose, man, to be honest, Philip understood something that we need to understand quickly, that it's not about me. It's not about the influence that brings my name more fame and more more gratitude. It's not about my influence that brings me more worth, more value, more money. No, Philip understood that his life was already lost. He had watched one of his contemporaries get stoned to death, all for speaking truth. And Philip, he's running to a place that could get him killed because he understands that this influence that God has ordained for his purpose, his glory, in this moment, it's not about Philip. It's not about Philip. So he goes over there. He's like, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, how can I unless someone teaches me? So Philip, after being invited to come and sit, I love this. It says he invited him in, um, and Philip opened his mouth. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was from Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I think a majority of the time, I do believe this, and we can see it testified in Scripture too, a majority of the time, the type of influence that we think about is like a little more long-term. Like there's some history at stake, there's some credibility at stake, but I do believe that there are times in which God ordains for his purpose, for his glory, that he's going to say, I just need you to go right over there, and I just need you to open your mouth. That's it. Go right over there and just open your mouth. 
Remember that great commission at the end of Matthew chapter Matthew in Matthew 28, verse 20. Uh, he says, I want you to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching you to observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always. Like sometimes God's just like, look, I just need you to trust that I'm going to be with you. I just need you to go over there and open your mouth. That's it. That's it. It's like God saying, look, I want to influence someone, but I'm going to do it through you. Because it's not about you, it's about me. So he goes over there, he opens his mouth, beginning with the scriptures, uh, he goes all the way through Jesus. Tells him everything. Told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road and they came to the water. Um, and the, where the Ethiopian eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Here's another crazy thing. Shouldn't have been water in there. They're in a desert place, right? So you can't tell me that this was not, this is not a man-made situation. This is not a man-made circumstance. This is not, I shouldn't eat this other piece of cake. No, this was a God-ordained moment for his purpose, for his glory, and he chose to use Philip to do that for God's glory, not Philip's. Like, there shouldn't have been water there. Maybe it was a ditch. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but either way, after getting all the way through the gospel, all the way through the stories of Scripture, apparently he also talked about the fact that we were commanded to be baptized in obedience to Jesus. And the eunuch's like, hey, uh, I believe all that. I love all of that. Probably very similar to what Ellie said yesterday. Like, yes, I believe in exactly what you've just told me. I think that's all good. I want that. And, and I want to declare it through baptism. Somewhere in there, like all of that happened in this small thing. Crazy, 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 crazier. A God-ordained moment for his purpose, for his glory. Crazy stuff. It's one of my favorite words is crazy. But anyway, like, just, just crazy stuff. And he's like, and look, there's water. Why, why, why can't we do this baptism thing now? Now, depending on your translation, there might be a verse 37 in yours. Like, in the ESV, it goes from 36 to 38. Um, because around the 6th century A.D., there was another line that got inserted in there, very likely just due to a, a, a scribal deal, whatever. We don't really know for sure. Um, and if you would like to sit with me and talk through that, how that got there, what that means, it doesn't change the validity of the story. It doesn't change the veracity of everything that's going on. But if you'd like to talk to that, I'd love to talk to you about textual criticism and what that looks like. But either way, uh, some of your Bibles might have that. But either way, it goes to verse 38, and it says, And he commanded the chariot to stop, the eunuch, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Like, I mean, this whole story, we read it, and we're like, yeah, that's really good. But if we read it quickly, we miss the fact that an angel spoke to someone and told him to go, and he went. An angel sent him somewhere, like, that he didn't even know where he was going, but he still went. He didn't ask questions. The Spirit of God spoke to someone and said, hey, I want you to go over there that you could catch a spear in your chest for. And then he meets this guy who's in great, like, great leadership capacity. He has questions about Scripture. And guess who's able to answer them? Oh, that's Philip, who God sent there through the voice of an angel and through the voice of his Spirit said, go over there and talk to this guy. And then that guy, after all of this, that guy says, yes, I believe in all of that. I want that. Can I get baptized now to show it? And he's like, well, yeah, there's some miraculous water here. Let's do it right here, right now. Let's dunk you. Baptizo, do submerged and to pull you back up. Water dripping off. Maybe ditch water. Maybe all kind of stuff in there. And then, like, after all of that, God, like, relocates Philip like crazy, 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 crazy stuff. But all because Philip was like, okay, I'll go. Okay, I'll go. Like, I think, man. Like, I think here's the, here's the question for us. Like, if tomorrow, like, if God speaks audibly to us and tells us to go to a place that we don't know about to do something that we don't know what's going to happen, what do we say? What do we say? Do we say, okay, or do we say, God, I just need a little time to think about that. I don't really know. Man, I think here's your tweetable point. Even though Neil talked about kids being buck naked, like, that's important. But here's the tweetable point. Man, be so used to being with God that his voice does not surprise us. Be so used to being near God that his voice does not surprise us. Like, no matter what he asks, it doesn't surprise us. And J.D., man, like J.D. Mangrum, who, who uh, planted Origins originally, like, one of the things he used to say that was super big for me, he was like, man, we need to have our yeses on the table before the question's even asked. Like, we need to go ahead and say yes before God even asks the question. That's what Philip did. That's what he was doing in essence. Like, hey, God, whatever you ask, hey, my answer is yes. I'm in. Are we that in? 
Like to the mission that God has ordained, to the mission that God has created well before us, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's craftsmanship, his workmanship, his masterpieces, created to do good works that he created beforehand. Like those works beforehand is so that every man, woman, and child would have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. If that is the mission we're on, if God says go, do we say yes before he asks? Because we gotta. We gotta. Be so used to being with God that when he asks the question, it doesn't shock us. Like it doesn't just be like, God, is that you? Here's a couple things about what was said, that, and probably this is like me being like practical, and sometimes I don't think following Jesus is very practical at all, but if we want to be practical, if that's your brain, here's the practicality of it. Um, what was being asked of Philip uh, aligned just great with everything he had already been doing. What was being asked of Philip, it aligned great with everything that he had already been doing. He had already been on a great commission mission. He had already been speaking the gospel. So it made good sense for God to just say, hey, I, I got something else for you to do. Like it aligned. It didn't contradict anything that God had already said. I think sometimes a lot of people are like, well, how do I know if I'm hearing from the Spirit? Well, the first litmus test is, um, does it contradict things that God's already said? Does it contradict Scripture? If it contradicts Scripture in the slightest, it's not the voice of God. Okay, this, this is our starting place, this is our continuing place, this is the place that we need to live, dwell, eat, have dessert, have appetizers, this is the place that we need to taste and see that God is good. And it needs to become so second nature that according to Romans 12 too, that we can discern the very will of God when we hear voices coming in. Because there are going to be a lot of voices that can come in and we're going to be like, hey God, is that you? They're going to be asking us to do things contrary to scripture. And if it's contrary to scripture, we can say, hey, that's not God. Not God. So that's one practical step. If it contradicts Scripture, it's not the voice of God. Not the voice of God. Does it line up with what he's already asked? Like, if it doesn't contradict, it, it must line up. So if it lines up with this mission that he's already placed us on, the way that he's gifted us, sometimes even outside the way that he's gifted us, it, that could be the voice of God. But I think for Philip, I think Philip had already had this track record that he was so used to the ways of God, the words of God, the works of God, the plans of God. This made sense, even though it didn't. Like, you get me? Like, it made sense, even though it didn't. Like, leave a place where everything's going good, but would God seriously ask me to go somewhere else and do this somewhere else? Yeah, he would. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. I'll do that. And then, like we already mentioned, too. Oh, man, and this is, this is the kicker. This is the one that'll kick us. Is what we're being asked, is it bringing us glory or is it bringing God glory? Is what we're being asked, is it going to bring us glory or is it going to bring God glory? Like when we're talking about in the terms of influence, okay, like biblical, godly, gospel-driven influence, is it bringing God glory or bringing me glory? Because here's the other thing. God's glory is what he's after. Now, he's after our good. God works together all things for the good of those who he's called according to his purpose. Yes, absolutely. But it's his glory. This is not my show. So if we feel like God is asking us to do something that's just made to build me up, to make my name great, to make me more famous, to bring me more health, wealth, and prosperity, yeah, it's probably not God either. And you say, well, that's cold-hearted. No, I'm not. No, it's not. Man, God's after his glory because guess what? My glory doesn't save anybody. His glory does. My glory, hey, it's not going to bring anybody any closer to Jesus, but God's glory can. That's what he's after. And he's not after it because he's selfish. He's after it because he's loving. And he wants every man, woman, and child to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. And that's what God's glory does. And Matthew's glory does not. No matter how I frame it, or no matter how I put it up against the light of Jesus, my glory is not going to save anybody. So whose glory is this going to bring? Is it mine or is it God's? Because God's after his own glory. Now, he's going to use us to do it. And there's going to be blessings involved, which is great. doesn't mean you're going to have a Porsche or a Porsche. But you could. I don't know. But he's after his glory. His glory. I think we've, man, we've made Christianity so comfortable and so, um, so approachable that we forget there's going to be some crazy stuff involved sometimes. Crazy stuff. God's going to ask you to leave a place of comfort sometimes. He's going to ask you to do that. He might ask you to go somewhere dangerous. 
man, I, Neil and I were even talking, I don't even know if he remembers, but like several months ago, we were talking about just a challenge of being a dad. Because um, I think the, the easy prayer for our kids is, God, bless my children, give them a safe life, let them be contributing members of society, let them read on grade level, let them do all those things. And I know that sounds funny, but I mean, we do. Like, we pray those things for our kids. Like, God, let, let us do that. But, but maybe instead, maybe we should just ask, hey, God, grow a kid that's going to be obedient to you no matter what. Even if it costs them everything. We've made this following Jesus so clean and so simple that we forget that sometimes he's going to ask us to go somewhere dangerous. And he might ask my kid to do it too if they're following him. That's crazy. God's in that business, though. Because, again, his glory is the name of the game. That's what he's after. That's what the world needs. That's what those who do not yet know him need. They need to see, feel, perceive, and be exposed to his glory. And sometimes he's going to ask us to do the uncomfortable to get it there. And before he asks, man, maybe the best thing for us to do is, hey, God, you know what? I understand your mission. I understand your glory. As hard as it is for me, I'm just going to go ahead and put my yes on the table. I'm going to go ahead and put my yes on the table. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, even the difficult ones. God, I thank you for Philip and his ability just to, to quickly just say yes to you. God, I pray you would speak to us in a similar way, the same way, as a matter of fact. God, that you would ask us to do the things that you need us to do for your glory, that you want us to do for your glory. Understanding that the hope of humanity rests in the gospel, God. It doesn't rest in my glory. It doesn't rest in my ability. It doesn't rest in my, uh, my ways of efficiency. But, God, it rests in your gospel. And you choose to use us to share that. You choose to use me to share that. You choose to use the we's to share that. God, I pray we would be obedient regardless of the outcome, regardless of personal glory, regardless of personal cost, God, I just pray that we would be obedient. And let us be so close to you that when you ask us to do something, we recognize your voice. And we can do it quickly. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for a mission that's bigger than us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.